Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse. I'm your host, Christy Graham. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Dave Phillips, who is a Deputy Director for International Projects, and he has served with Samaritan's Purse for over nine years. The past few weeks, he's been closely monitoring the coronavirus and has had close oversight to what's been happening on the ground in both New York City and Cremona, Italy. Dave gives clarity on what Samaritan's Purse has done to respond to COVID-19 in the U.S. and overseas. We cover so many different topics, such as the logistics required to open two emergency field hospitals and what it takes to keep them running and how to pray for the staff and the patients. I was so encouraged by Dave's brilliance, but more importantly, his enthusiasm as he shared how Samaritan's Purse is able to respond in times of crisis and how the ministry is working together to accomplish so many different projects during this global pandemic. Here's my conversation with Dave. Dave, I appreciate you making the time. I know you're busy and you guys have a lot to juggle, so I appreciate it. Thank you, Chrissy. It's, it's just great to be with you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. So there's so much I wanna cover, and so we'll just see where it goes. But um, to start with, can you update us with what Samaritan's Purse is doing to respond to the coronavirus around the world? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this, uh, this coronavirus outbreak is truly unprecedented uh, global event. And uh, it's really incredible uh, to see how God is preparing Samaritan's Purse and has been preparing Samaritan's Purse to respond to this. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we are celebrating 50 years of Samaritan's Purse at the same time that we're being asked to be an integral a part of this response to this unprecedented global pandemic. So I was thinking about how God, he's always acting in history and it's just amazing to be a part of Samaritan's Purse right now uh, as we are a part of him doing things to respond to this outbreak. And as you said, we have right now, we have uh, a lot of things going on, but the biggest thing is the field hospital that we've deployed to Italy. And now in, as of the last few days, we've deployed a second field hospital to Central Park in New York and in, in downtown Manhattan. Uh, and we also have a lot of other programs going on around the world with our field offices, but those two, uh, or sorry, with our country offices, but those two field offices are, de- uh, field hospitals are definitely the biggest thing we're doing. And as you mentioned, the, um, the country offices. So we have what, 16 around the world. For those, of the, for those listening that maybe not be aware, can you explain, yeah, how the coronavirus has impacted all of those country offices? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have these teams are all over the world and each of the country offices is different. Uh, and so some of them are in complete lockdown mode. So we have, for example, our field office in Bolivia, our staff can only leave their homes a few hours of the day because the whole country has been shut down because of coronavirus. And there are other places like in South Sudan where the virus hasn't gotten there in a significant way. So the team is still able to do massive food distributions and we're running all the water points there. And then there's all these other field offices that are somewhere in between the two. Um, But all of those countries, I'm just so proud of our country directors and the teams that are there on the ground. They're so alert to the needs of the communities around them and also what God is, is doing and what God is, is speaking in those moments. And they're really responding in some, in some incredible ways to, to help people both with their normal needs that people have for things like clean, safe drinking water and food, but also now in the, in the sort of more acute needs that are coming up because of coronavirus. Wow, yeah, I didn't even think about all the impacts everyone's having. And so whether they're right there, yeah, near Italy um, or here in the States, they're being impacted 
Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk to me, as you said, the two field hospitals. Samaritan's Purse has never had two emergency field hospitals set up at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, just unprecedented. How is Samaritan's Purse responding in two different locations? How were you able to uh, deploy to DART and all of that kind of in the same, you know, within what, two weeks of each other, mm-hmm. correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great question, Christy, and I and I think we also ask ourselves that sometimes. <laughs> How is this happening? Um, and I, I I do think that the first thing I I, I have to say is that um, that God is is doing some incredible miracles in our midst. Um, I, I do want to start with that. Um, I think mm-hmm. there's real practical, uh, technical things that are happening and the ways that our mechanisms are working. And I, and I can talk about uh, some of those a little bit or take a deep dive into those. Um, but, but really, I think what I'm seeing here is that when you think about Samaritan's Purse and Dr. Furman and the vision he had for a world medical mission and Franklin's vision for supporting hospitals uh, are some of our leaders, Ken Isaacs and others, and the vision they've had for medical work. And, and it's been through these many, many years that we've developed this incredible capacity to rapidly and effectively and with an extremely high level of of professionalism and excellence to get these field hospitals into places where there's crisis very quickly. Um, And so the way that it's it's happening is, is that we have an entire team, which is called the International Health Unit. And I think you had Dr. Tenpenny on the call uh, around the podcast recently. And he described a little bit about how uh, that mechanism is working in Italy. And so what we've done is Dr. Tenpenny and his team, uh, they have operations people and they have medical, specific medical people. They have epidemiologists and all of them spend their time uh, when they're not out working, preparing. So they're, you know, sharpening their swords as it were, mm-hmm. getting ready to go. And then we have this uh, huge uh uh, 200,000 square foot warehouse down in Wilkesboro. And we fill the warehouse with all of the supplies that are needed to deploy the hospital. So before anything happens, I mean, months and months and months ago, we had stocked our warehouse full of all of the, for example, ventilators and the personal protective equipment that everybody's talking about on the news now, like the masks and goggles, uh, all of the the water, the electrical, like every component to a hospital, we put it all together and it's on the shelves down in Wilkesboro and ready to go. And so when, for example, in Italy, uh, it was evident that that was the epicenter of the entire coronavirus crisis globally and the Italian uh, um, government invited us to come, we could take that hospital off the shelf, quickly mobilize all of our staff and get all of those resources onto our airplane, the DC-8 in Wilkesboro and take off and and fly, as Ken Isaac said, right into the throat of the dragon, (laughs) into Mm -hmm. the middle of this epicenter and set up the field hospital. And I think they had it set up in something like 10 hours once they hit the ground. And the reason for that is is the continual preparation that is built on the foundation of many decades of our uh, of our leaders seeing a vision for what this kind of capacity could be used for both to help people in the midst of crisis and also to be a witness for the gospel. Wow. Wow. Like you said, we're proactive, you know, not reactive. You were able to respond um, quickly and efficiently in the name of Jesus. Um, so as we're talking about Italy, can you give an update? Uh, we did an episode, yeah, um, two weeks ago, kind of telling what we were doing. Can you now give some updates to what the hospital is doing there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the hospital is in uh, the town of Cremona, 
And uh, the, the, the story of Cremona is, is just really incredible. And the reason why we went, you know, they had uh, so many cases of coronavirus uh, and the healthcare workers, there was something like 40 doctors, Italian doctors that died and over 5,000 healthcare workers in Italy that contracted uh, coronavirus. Uh, and yeah. so that town was just totally overcome with, uh, with the sickness. And the, the, every day they would come together at five o'clock and the people would pray for someone to come and help. And then the entire town would clap for the healthcare workers that were already there uh, or that were still there providing support to the people. And so when they heard we were coming, they just lost their minds that, that we were an answer to prayer, uh, which I think is so amazing that we were able to, to be that answer to prayer for them. Um, so we've been there since uh, it's been uh, about almost three weeks now. Um, to, as of today, this morning, we had something uh, like 58 or 60 patients, uh, including seven or eight in the ICU beds, uh, which are the ventilators uh, that everybody's mm -hmm. talking about on the news. And we have to keep some of those open because we have patients in various stages of either coming off ventilators uh, or having to be put on them very urgently. So we, we try to keep a little bit of space in those ventilators, even though the, the need is overwhelming, because if there's an absolute critical case that shows up in the middle of the night, we want to be able to save, save lives. Uh, mm -hmm. So the team is working 24 hours a day. They're around the clock. Um, we're in very close coordination with, uh, with the hospital there in Cremona. Uh, we have seen some incredible results in terms of people actually coming off ventilators and out of the ICU into the step-down clinic. And in fact, there was one story of a, a man who had Down syndrome uh, who was 50 years old. Um, and he was, he got so sick with coronavirus, he ended up having to be on a ventilator and by some miracle with underlying conditions related to his specific situation, he was able to come off that ventilator and, uh, we're hoping soon we'll be able to be completely discharged. Um, and wow. so just hearing some of these stories, uh, people who some didn't make it, you know, there are some, Ita mm -hmm. some Italians that came, uh, who were so sick and we're dealing with the sickest of the sick. Uh, the people that come to us aren't coming because they have a mild situation. It is an extreme situation when they come uh, to our to our hospital, and so we've we've seen some that have that have gone um, that have that have passed that didn't survive. And the testimonies from the team are is that in, when that happens, they're there praying, uh, they're there uh, providing all the care that they could. One this morning, uh, one of the nurses was talking about how a man passed, and they were just massaging his feet and singing songs in Italian and uh, reading scripture and praying for him. And it just, it spoke to me of the, of the way that, that the team and really what our organizational uh, sort of DNA is, is to show love to everyone and to show love in whatever stage of life. If you, if you are a human being, then we wanna show you the love of God. And, and so I think in the midst of all of the numbers and all of the incredible impact that that hospital is having in the city of Cremona, the team is still taking so much care for each one of those individual lives and, and trying to nurse them back to health as best they can. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. And like you said, people coming off the ventilators and surviving is amazing because three weeks ago, I remember reading reports saying all their people in ICU were not coming out. You know, they were seeing so many deaths and it was just so discouraging. Um, but to see, yes, this healthcare working, but more importantly, like you said, them being loved in the process. And we care more about their spiritual healing and, and finding hope in Jesus 
than we do even physically. You know, yes, we want to medically take care of them and do the very best, but spiritually and walking through them, because I think that is what I'm finding would be so devastating is you're going through this alone. You know, you can't be with your family and friends. You're cut off from the world and all you have are these nurses and doctors. And so for them to be loving them um, like a person, treating them, you know, like you would your friend um, is really encouraging to hear. So thank you for those updates from Cremona. I know our audience will be eager to hear that because um, we did do an episode and it's good to hear that things are going well. The staff is keeping speed um, and staying healthy. Yes, they are. And, and just now, to tell you, Bev Kaufelt, who's our team leader out there, uh, yeah. she told me something the other day I thought was so profound. She said, you know, we keep the best science in front of us and our faith mm-hmm. deep within us. And I thought that was just such a powerful statement of like, we are there, we have such amazing professionals out there, but they're also, yeah. they, they're relying on prayer and they know that God is their protection in the face of this thing. Wow, that is, that is awesome. Um, so now switching gears, um, can you talk to us about New York? So this is the first time we've set up an emergency field hospital in America, correct? Yes, that's right. So can you talk to me about what the setup was like for that? You know, because now you don't have to fly the hospital. They were able to drive it on the trucks. How did that change the setup and the dynamics or did it? Yeah, that's right. This is yeah new territory for us, and it's new territory as you as you mentioned earlier in the call, Christy, about how we now have two hospitals. So just that in and of itself is is mm-hmm. uh, is an incredible testimony to how we've been able to use the resources we have to their fullest. And and mm-hmm. just as uh, as an aside with that, we we've decided that we're not going to sit on any resources. And this is why we went to New York is that we're looking at the virus and we're saying, "Okay, well should we save our hospital uh and right. and wait until something else happens somewhere else, like maybe closer to home here in North Carolina?" And we just decided that we can't sit on capacity. Mm-hmm. That if we have the ability to save lives, we have to do everything that we can regardless of where that is. We're going to go there and we're going to help people. Uh, and so that's why we decided to go to New York is because it is now the epicenter. It is now mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the hot spot for this outbreak globally. And so we prayed and we thought, you know what, are we even going to be able to go? Like there's regulations right. and there's all these different things you have to deal with in a city like New York, which of course is one of the, it's the most developed city in the world probably. I mean, it, it's the center of so much. Uh, and so uh, one of the ways, uh, the first thing that happened is, is that we began talking with uh, organizations like FEMA, uh, with the governor, uh, governor's office in New York, uh, with the mayor's office in New York. And uh, we identified a, a partner hospital, which is Mount Sinai Heart Hospital. Uh, and, the, and then we received an invitation. So they asked us to come. That's why we prayed. We, and then they asked us to come. Um, and so the mechanism for deployment is very similar, except that we loaded all that stuff into, into tractor trailers rather than into an airplane. Uh, and right. so those, that stuff went up uh, in the tractor trailers. Uh, uh, Elliot Tenpenny and his team were on the ground. Uh, and then to our shock and amazement, uh, the place that they asked us to go was in Central Park, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So Midtown Manhattan, right across uh, on, on Madison Avenue, right across from the main Mount Sinai facility. Uh, and somebody told us, they said, you know, if you had tried to do this in any normal time, it would have taken like eight years uh, of right. permission <laughs> to get it done. Right. Um, and so it's just, amazing that within a few, literally in a few hours, 
um, the people came together who needed to. Uh, there's even two different precincts of the uh, NYPD, the New York Police Department, that it's like right at the end of our hospital. One is, is one department and one's the other. And like all these wow. people just came together and they said, you know what, you're here to help and we're going we're gonna to make this work. And um, just to tell you the testimonies that are coming back, like there's been a lot of um, negative stuff happening in the news around Oh well, is SB, you know is SB going to discriminate against who it, who it cares for? And that's mm-hmm. just it, it's totally not who we are. We're going to care for anybody, anybody that comes to us. We don't ask questions about their race or their religion or their background or their orientation. We just want to help people and do that in the name of Jesus. And so that really came through in those early hours of us being there is being is having the opportunity to say we're here in the name of Jesus and we're going to bring the highest quality medical care that is available. We're going to use this and we're going to do it in in the name of Jesus. And I think that the community up in New York has has been so uh, overwhelmed with gratitude because we came, we did something, and that was the mm-hmm. testimony of of some of many in the hospital that worked in the hospital. It's like you guys cared, you cared enough to come. And why are you doing this? Like why is why would you have this capacity that you could de- deploy a hospital within a few hours? And, and our answer always is is we're doing it doing it in the name of Jesus. So it really is itself a small miracle that were there uh, and that mm-hmm. capacity that normally we would have had in Bangladesh or in the DRC doing Ebola outbreak somewhere or in Ecuador or the Bahamas, uh, we had to make some specific tweaks and adjustments to the mm-hmm. U.S. system, uh, things like pharmaceuticals and electricity and water supply and, and you know, HIPAA and, you know, U.S. laws. Mm-hmm. But our team came together, everyone from the legal department to the HR department the International Health Unit, and everybody put their energy behind this thing, and with uh, with incredible speed, were able to navigate all of the all of the new challenges that are, that come from a deploying a, here, a field hospital here domestically in the U.S. Wow, <laughs> I know. I, it's like as you're talking, I'm like, there's things I didn't even think about, challenges that you were going to encounter, and and like you said, so many more people I think needed in this endeavor than overseas because of the regulations. But then you're also working with some staff that are at home, you know, because now everybody, I mean, our staff at Samaritan's Purse has been, you know, impacted like every other business around the world or around the country with many working at home, you know, only essentials coming in. So how have you been navigating that, you know, with the incident management team, you know, some of yours, I'm sure are at home. So you have now people working all over trying to come together to get, make all this happen. How did that present a, a complication? Yes, yeah, you've really uh, you've really put your finger on something uh, significant there, which is uh, you know we're here, some of us in the office, right. but the majority of people are are home. Uh, and yes. even those of us who are physically in the office, we have to keep you know social distance, mm-hmm. and uh, we can't like when we have these meetings now. Thank God for Zoom. Uh, we have mm-hmm. this incredible technology that allows people to uh, to participate in the meetings. Uh, but we've had to over communicate. Uh, we've had to set up mechanisms for information sharing. Uh, we've had to uh, rely on and uh, and to lean into trust. 
because when you're mm-hmm. not working as in the same way right next to somebody that you have been for years and there may be right. you know at a remote location and they make a decision you don't know about you have to trust like hey this is all going to be for the purpose of doing acts of love in the hardest places in the world in the name of Jesus and that mission sort of organizes all of our thinking and it and it sort of um, brings clarity to the way that we have to interact now with these new covid-19 realities that all of us are facing with hand sanitizer and wet wipes and Zoom. And somehow God is working through all of that. And we are seeing the, the, the resources and the history and the capacity of this ministry being used in, in just incredible ways. And, and I, sometimes I, I wake up in the morning, I don't get a lot of sleep these days, but it's every morning mm-hmm. I wake up and I jump out of bed and I just start going because there's some things happening that are so uh, historically significant. Like this is an amazing right. time to watch God uh, do things through his people, through his church. And we at SP get to be a, be a central part of that. And it's, it's really exciting. Yes, I know. I know. I think if there's like an old song that says God is a history maker, you know, he is a part of, yeah. I mean, and I, I was reading Psalm 93 today talking about the Lord reigns, you know, he has roamed in majesty. He is firmly, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. So God has always been here, always will be. So he, this does not surprise him. Um, and I think, you know, he doesn't often bring pain into our lives, but he can walk us through it and be with us in the hard. You know, he doesn't always bring us out of it, but he brings us in it. And I love, like, as you were saying, I was just thinking about the parable of the talents. You know, when God gives us and entrusts us with talents, um, you know, we're not supposed to bury them. You know, he he really got onto that guy that buried his talents and yeah, didn't want to use them, wanted to save them for a rainy day. And like you said, Samaritan's Purse, I mean, we go to the ditches of life. And when someone is in a ditch like New York City, you know, we want to go um, and not worry about, can we help others in the future? We're going to go now. Um, and yeah, be a part of this historical um, global pandemic that is terrible, but I think God can use it for his glory. And like you said, I think, he, I know he is. Um, and just being in New York City um, is really a way to be a beacon of light. Um, and so can you talk to me about, I know people have been asking, you know you're going, you said within a couple hours. Um, can you talk to me about how that actually happened? I mean, just the logistics of setting up a hospital in an iconic, you know, I mean, usually you're setting it up in war zones or places where a hospital has been demolished and they don't have a building. But here we are in, like you said, one of the (laughs) nicest cities in the world um, in an iconic park that you want to try to keep nice. So I I read that you put mulch down and, you know, tried to keep it for the grass from flooding. So talk to me about the logistics that went into setting up a, a yeah, the hospital in a place like that. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, uh, we say uh, sometimes here uh, that at the core of Samaritan's Purse is love and a little bit of logistics. Uh, so we, <laughs> we love our logistics and we have incredible uh, logistics people. And uh, just, just uh, walking sort of sequentially through the process, uh, starting from when we make a decision. So we make the decision, mm-hmm. this is where we're going this is where, where it's going to happen. And of course, in the background, there's a whole team of people that are negotiating what we call access or permissions. Mm-hmm. And so that team sort of is running on its own track. It has its own parallel track because you have to have 
MOUs and secure access and get permissions from the right people to make all that happen. Um, and then while that's going on, uh, we have an entire logistics team, uh, Eric Kohout and, uh, and um, Eric Timmons and their guys, uh, most of them at our warehouse in Wilkesboro. Uh, and so they will begin immediately once that order is executed to begin pulling uh, the um, the skids or the the pallets of all the different stuff that we need off of the shelves in the hospital, and that's a process in of itself because we have all we are prepared for all kinds of things when it comes mm-hmm. to medical response. So if you think like if there's an earthquake, you don't necessarily need as many ventilators for a respiratory problem, you need a lot more orthopedic surgery kinds of things. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the, the items that you're gonna pack, uh, you're gonna have more surgical rooms than you're gonna have ICU. And so de- right. depending on what the specific need of the population is gonna be, the logistics team in Wilkesboro is they're pulling all of those items off the shelf that are tailor made or customized for that particular response. So that could be the number of tents that are needed, uh, the type of electricity uh, supply that has to come, uh, the number of water containers, elevated water tanks that we need. Uh, If it's, in this case, an infectious disease, you have to have an area of the hospital for donning and doffing, which means putting on your protective, personal protective Mm -hmm. equipment safely, and then taking, when you're, then you go into the hot zone, and then you come back out of the hot zone, you take off that personal protective equipment. Then we have to have, um, things like bleach and other chemicals for sanitation. And so all of those items, the, the logistical people that we have working for us aren't, uh, they, they're not just your average logistical guy. It's like they have uh, clear understandings of medical operational protocols uh, and the ways in which those things need to be translated into the process of, of getting all that stuff ready. So once all that's ready, uh, normally, uh, because we do, we're, we're not doing these uh, domestic, d- domestic response like we're doing in New York, we would put all that onto what we call big cookie sheets that goes onto our airplane. Uh, but in the right. case of New York, they packed all that stuff up and then put it onto uh, tractor trailers. Uh, and then as soon as that stuff was on the tractor trailers, those guys hit the road and they knew like they're going to go as fast as we can get to the, to the crisis. That's as fast as we're going to make it happen. And if we have to slow down, we'll pull over and we'll slow down, but we want to go as fast as we possibly can from, from the onset. So based upon the specifics, the stuff gets picked and pulled, and then it gets put into the, into the, whatever the delivery mechanism for those items to arrive at the same time, we have an advanced team that hits the ground and they start working to operationalize and make practical all of those permissions for access that we, that I was mentioning earlier. So you sort of have a high level agreement, say for example, with the city of New York, but then you have to have a team that gets on the ground and they say, all right, let's make this happen. Where Mm -hmm. physically, where is this going to be? And that in this New York case, that's when Central Park popped up. And so first we thought, well, this is incredible. We're going to have Fifth Avenue Central (laughs) Park. And then it actually became a reality uh, for us. And the team that was on the ground was the one that landed that or finalized all of those, oh, those details. Beyond that, the next thing you have to do is where's the water going to come from? Where are we going to have toilets on this thing? Is it going to be porta potties? Is it going to pump in our own sewer system? What about electricity? What kind of electricity? Where's the electricity going to flow from? Uh, what about oxygen? Um, are, are tents in of themselves um, have specific 
mechanisms to m- mitigate and limit what we call IPC or, or infection prevention and control. So each tent has to have a specific type of electricity and there has to be uh, measures put in place. It's not just like we throw a tent up. It's a, it's a, a biohazard hot zone uh, with infectious disease. So there's very specific technical issues that you have to implement. And so that advanced team and then the team that arrives on the ground, and by this point in the response, you're, we're talking about having something like 70, 60, 70 people who are in some process of the logistical setup. Uh, and then once all of that, all of that uh, sort of electrical water infrastructure stuff happens, then you bring in the beds, then you bring in the respirators, the oxygen systems, uh, and and then as I was mentioning earlier, the donning and doffing area of the hospital itself. And so all that is put together by the operations team, the setup team, and the logistics team, and then the doctors and nurses arrive, and uh, we can start start receiving receiving patients. And so in New York, they were actually competing with the team in. Italy to see who could get it done in the shortest number of hours. <laughs> uh, so a little friendly competition between between our two teams. And uh, just, uh, it, it's incredible when you say, just even you asking a question, sitting back and looking at the whole thing, it's so many hands and so many right. skills, individual giftings and skills that God has given people that they're willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to go into the epicenter of an infectious disease outbreak because I have a skill that God mm-hmm. can use uh, to respond to this crisis. Because people could get afraid and, and say, you know what, I'm staying at home because I don't wanna right. get sick. But all of our staff are so courageous and they're saying, you know what, this is why we exist as an organization. We're gonna go to the fire. We're gonna go into the middle of this outbreak. And we know that that's a risk for us, but we're doing it in the name of Jesus. And we're willing to go do this because it's our calling and it's why we exist as an organization. Right. Wow. I knew it was a puzzle, but hearing you, I'm like, that is a very complicated puzzle. And um, and you're right, so many different people. And I love, yeah, everybody's gifts and abilities that they're using for God's glory. And I think it was one nurse that said, you know, I, I didn't, I don't have these gifts and talents, you know, to stay on a playground. Like I'm made to go to a battlefield. You know, if you're not using these skills, I think it was a, um, Elizabeth Elliot quote is what it was, but you know, you're, you're right. Like God has entrusted us with these gifts and talents. And like I said about the parable earlier, like he doesn't want us to bury them. Um, you know, he just wants us to be reckless, you know, and um, we are to be wise and careful. And like you said, we do it correctly with the PPE and, you know, the protective gear. And um, I mean, even watching everybody doing the mulch, everything, they were being protected, um, but they're, yeah, building it because they know it's what God would want them to do. Um, and, and like you said, it's a platform. Like it is, I mean, yes, we care about their medical care, but we use it as a platform for the gospel. You know, God has given us these, these yes, people, this personnel that are so good at their craft and their skill. Um, so yeah, we're not using just anybody. I mean, they are all specifically tailored for what needs to be done, but they can do it for God's glory. Um, and I love just the ripple effect because I think, yeah, right there in New York City, they're getting so much, you know, Samaritan's Purse is getting a lot of publicity. And a lot of people are finding out about Samaritan's Purse that didn't know before. And now this is their first impact. And it sounds like there's just been a lot of testimonies of people, even volunteers wanting to get involved, right? I mean, did they, did you put out something to the local church partners or, because I, I just read something about people helping with the mulch and people, you know, coming off the streets to help um, in some of the building work. Is that correct? Were volunteers used? Yeah, we've we've put out a call um, 
for, especially for doctors and nurses uh, who mm-hmm. want to come and, and use their medical skills uh, to serve people in the name of Jesus. But the team on the ground in New York, actually, they were telling us that people were just spontaneously coming mm-hmm. off the streets. And uh, there was apparently uh, one gentleman who lived in a high-rise apartment across the street from where we were setting up, uh, which, I mean, if you have a high-rise apartment uh, overlooking Central Park, <laughs> you know, that's a pretty nice piece of uh, property. And he came right. down and just rolled up his sleeves and said, I want to help. And he just was mm-hmm. helping move mulch and throwing out flooring and said, this is the best thing I've done in years. And I wow. think that's partly what we want to do is we want to invite people. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to welcome people to come join us in what God is doing because it's incredible. And there's something that happens when you engage into the activity of God and you say, you know what? I want to be a part of what God's doing in history. Like God is, mm-hmm. people say, well, why is this coronavirus happening and where's God in the midst of it? And when I hear that question, I think he's in Midtown Manhattan at the SP tents where the hospital is right now. And I think anybody that's had a chance to to participate in that in some way, either by praying or actually physically being a part of it is is doing something really significant. And I think our, our volunteers are incredible and I'm just so grateful both for the spontaneous ones that just show up mm-hmm. uh, and also for these professionals who give of their, their valuable time to, to serve in that way. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about that, I know people have been asking, how can I get involved? What do they need? I mean, I, I'm sure everything's on the website, but what, what can professionals be doing if they do want to get involved? Yeah, Christy, great question. Uh, you know, we really do need people with professional skills, and especially in this moment, anyone who has any kind of medical expertise, uh, EMTs and uh, LPNs and nurses and NPs and all of the, any of the medical professionals, doctors, and really almost any type of doctor, we are uh, receiving applications to help us with our response, both in Italy and in New York and wherever else God calls us that we can go where we can go and serve. And we need the expertise that people have. We need these human resource, these people who are willing to go and serve in the name of Jesus. Uh, please go to our website, go to SamaritansPurse.org and check out uh, the links there that will take you to the places where you can put it in an application and just join, be a part of, but do something that, that, that you feel like God's calling you to do. Go to the website and check it out. Okay, thank you so much. Um, and as we're talking about that, um, I feel like this is, I'm sure, exhausting. Like you said, you've been getting little sleep. Your team is running around the clock, whether you're you know, here in Boone or you're in New York City. I feel like all of you are pulling long hours and there's so many more logistics and things to be done that never ends. So how can we be praying for your staff and the team? Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I've been getting this question a lot and I think um, that the, the thing that is m- at this moment uh, most important that we would ask people to prayers, very tangible, very specific thing, uh, is to pray that the healthcare workers who are out on the front lines in the hot zone fighting this disease don't get sick. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason for that is, is I think, twofold. One is that um, we, there's just not that many healthcare workers. And so if our team goes down, that will immediately decrease our capacity for being able to respond to this sickness. But I also want to say that if we get through this and none of our healthcare workers get sick, 
there's mm-hmm. no one to give credit to other than God for that. It will right. be a miracle. And so it's a very tangible thing that I would just ask people to pray with us in agreement about that specific thing uh, because it is really important. And it's also something that I'm praying for every day. And I really believe God uh, is working through us. And I, and I wanna see him get the glory for, for keeping the bodies of our, of our staff safe in the midst of, uh, of this really intense uh, disease. Mm-hmm. You're right. What a testimony and a, a platform. You know, you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, when they went into the fire, it was like, I know God can protect me. Um, but even if not, you know, and that is what these healthcare workers are doing. They're saying, I know that I could get sick. You know, I'm no one's immune from this. And I think that is what's been the equalizer in this virus. You know, everyone can be impacted. It doesn't matter if you're young, you're old, you know. Um, and so it's scary, but their faith, you know, to be bold and to say, even if not, I know he can save me, but, but you're right. Like what a testimony that would be. And if we as believers, you know, the small faith can move mountains. If we can boldly come before our Lord, you know, and beg, you know, God, um, protect them, you know, for your glory, you know, not for anything else, but so that we can, you know, give glory to you. Um, that's an awesome, yeah, that's a great prayer. Um, and speaking to just encouragement, I'm sure your team, I know Samaritan's Birth starts their day in devotions um, and in prayer and in the word, you know, because God's word is the only thing that I think can encourage us right now. You know, the news is so discouraging. And, you know, if you try to watch, yeah, stocks or anything in the world right now, it's discouraging. I mean, there's, but God's word has not changed, will not change. So is there anything that God's been teaching you or your team that you would like to share with the audience? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's really true. I think that uh, it seems that the, the world right now is kind of stuck in, in two categories. Some people are sitting at home and sort of fiddling their thumbs and don't have anything to do. And then some people are working right. like two and three times uh, the amount. And I think regardless, you know, for some people, maybe they're sitting at home, they don't have anything to do. Maybe now's the time to start having a daily time to read the Bible and pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, you know, for those of us who are coming to the office every day, we have constantly emphasized prayer um, in our day-to-day interactions before we start meetings. Uh, and I've, I've, I've found just for myself, like I used to, I like to spend longer times, but I don't have that much time. So it's just like taking a few minutes every morning and saying, Lord, I'm gonna just read a scripture and I'm gonna pray and ask you for your care and protection today. And then I'm, we're mm-hmm. gonna go out and do this thing. And we're gonna trust that you are leading us and we can hear your voice. Uh, and so I, I, if I can, can I just share a scripture verse that's been really encouraging to me? It. Um, This is from Psalm 44, uh, verse four through eight. And it says, uh, you are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. And I've been reading that scripture a lot and just like putting coronavirus in there when it talks about enemies mm-hmm. and just um, taking that time, you know, God is with with those who are suffering. You know, I think of Jesus who he himself 
when uh, w- he went to the to the middle of the disease outbreak called sin and got his hands dirty and and shed his own blood. He went. He didn't stay at home in heaven. He went to the middle of the epicenter of the human crisis of sin, and he his nails were uh, the nails were put into his hands on the cross because he made that sacrifice uh, for us. And I just think this is our ch- this is the chance for Christians here in SP and all around the world to be a light for the gospel in the midst of, of fear and of, of sometimes chaos and certainly uh, uncertain futures uh, about what's gonna happen with economies and jobs, so much joblessness. And, and this is a time for us who have eternal hope to be able to stand with confidence and love and love on the people closest to us and provide messages of hope and share uh, not, only, not only tangible ways, because people are, there's need all around us in every direction. Um, but also uh, the the real hope that we have that that God is with us uh, and that we have Jesus Christ as our example who came into history and, and, and loved us through the cross. So I just think it's an incredible time for Christians to really engage their communities in, in a loving way. Mm-hmm. And no better time, you know, with Easter next week, you know, we are, I mean, the time you're right, like it is so poignant to, to Jesus um, and what he did for us. And that is why we have hope. And so I've been just mourning for those that don't know Christ because this would be a really difficult, dark time, you know, and like you said, but for us, you know, our confidence is in God um, and in a hope that cannot be taken from us. Um, and so, yeah, we need to be a beacon of light. And so I love that God is allowing Samaritan's Purse to be that um, not only to New York City, but to the world, you know, as it's reached in the news. And and like you said, all glory and honor goes to him. Um, so thank you so much, Dave, for sharing, for sharing your heart, but also just the logistics and what all goes into this, because I think Samaritan's Verse, it does, they make it look effortless and easy. Um, and so, but hearing just the hours and time, but a lot of it is because of the preparation ahead of time, you know, and the stewardship. Um, so, Thank you for sharing. I think um, it'll be encouraging just to all the all those listening, you know, that are praying and supporting Samaritan's Purse um, to know that these are the people you're supporting, you know, and you're I think great giving great light on to the character and the people that are the hands and feet for Samaritan's Purse and for Jesus ultimately. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to share or an update? No, I just want to say, uh, Christy, thank you so much. Uh, this is such a great podcast and a great opportunity for people to really uh, dive into what's happening with SP. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to have been with you today. Uh, thank you. God bless you. And uh, let's just keep praying and, and keep fighting this coronavirus. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you were encouraged and resolved to pray for our teams in New York City and Italy in a deeper way. I love Dave's heart and his passion. And I pray that Samaritan's Purse would continue to put their confidence in God and that they would give him the glory for all that we do. And I think of Jeremiah 17, seven through eight that says, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I truly pray, like like Dave said, pray for our staff and our medical care that they will stay healthy and strong and that they will never fail to bear fruit. I've been talking with several of our medical staff on the ground at the field hospitals, and I look forward to sharing more interviews with you in the future. 
So be on the lookout for a New York City episode soon. I'm excited to introduce you to so many of our wonderful staff who are suiting up in the hospitals every single day. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you are encouraged by what God is doing in the midst of this virus. Follow us on Instagram so that you'll know when new episodes will be released. Thank you and have a great week.